Hey, fellow space and time travelers, here we are again, bands are like girlfriends. How are you doing? Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Have you planned your summer holidays yet? Still a few months to go till summer, so better pick out a few podcasts we can hear in the meantime. And um, this is my offering. So today I talked to Nathan Gray, whom some of you might know as the singer of a band called Boys It's Fire. So Boys It's Fire started playing in the mid-90s. They were a typical new school hardcore band of the era, technically well played. And soon enough they would start to incorporate really melodic singing and almost emo-leaning parts into their sound. So the interesting thing was that they appealed to both emo kids and metalcore kids. So they were one of the bands that got the most recognition within the scene and also one, if not the band, that had the most recognition outside of the scene. And uh, so they got bigger and bigger and played bigger shows, um, signed to bigger labels. Of course, that kind of thing back then, around 2000, always never failed to cause some controversy within the scene. And they have toured and released records every couple of years since then and are still active. But Nathan also started a solo career a few years ago, and currently he's working on his third album. So there's a lot to discuss here. And of course, we also talk politics, because Nathan has always been one of the most outspoken and politically conscious frontmen in hardcore, at least that I knew. And make no mistake, he still has very strong views and opinions on politics. And I found it quite inspiring, actually, to see that getting older doesn't mean you have to become lame, you know, or run on lower energy or something. But you can still output ideas in art, in music, on a high level. So let's hear what Nathan has to say. In my How's it going? Hey, good. So where are you right now? Uh, I'm at home right now. I'm in Elkton, Maryland. It's uh, on the east coast of the U.S., getting a ton of snow and ice. Oh, all right. Winter storms, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you don't get power cuts where you are? No, no. They're having a lot of difficulty in Texas right now, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we're, right not, we're not seeing it here right now. All right. That's good. So is that where you grew up in in that area, Maryland? Right, right in this area. There's um, so everything in this area of the East Coast, of the U.S. is very pushed in together. So you've got Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware all pretty much right up next to each other. So I, I've lived in this area for a, a good amount of time. I was born in Delaware. Uh, we did live, live in Florida for a little while, uh -huh. but then moved back to Maryland and that's been pretty much it, either Maryland or Delaware, right sort of on this border here of Elkton, Maryland and Newark, Delaware. Wow. And so, um, so I always start, uh, with the question, what's your first, um, musical memory? Do you have like a memory of, of a record of a song that you heard when you were a kid that you liked? 
my first musical memory was literally musicals. Uh, cause my dad, my parents had a lot of vinyl and eight tracks and Uh most of them were either musicals, um, like man of La Mancha and, uh, Les Mis, uh, stuff like that. Uh Or they had, uh, Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel were big ones that they had. So, um, that was mostly it. It was musicals and folk music. (laughs) So your parents were into music. Yes. Very much. Mm-hmm. They still are. My, my, my mom and my dad both sing and play guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. What kind of music mm-hmm. do they play? Uh, they, they don't play. They play at their church. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. okay. <laughs> That type of thing. So they don't really play, like, put out albums yeah, or yeah, anything. Yeah. All right. But so you, you grew up with that singing and playing music? So, yes, like as a kid. very much. Yeah, okay. very much so. Uh-huh. And do you remember the first record that you bought yourself? Oh, uh, yes. I actually, I bought, it was, it was on cassette tape mm-hmm. and it was, there was actually, uh, four of them that I bought at the same time. I saved up a bunch of money and I went to a, uh, back when it was like a used record store in Florida when we lived there. And I, I'm trying to think, I must've been around 16 or something like that. And I had just gotten into punk and everything. So I was, I was looking for stuff and I got, um, bad brains, eye against eye, uh, black flag in my head. Um, DI, what good is grief to a God? And all, all Roy says, those were my first four cassettes of punk music. So you started <laughs> that right, I bought right into the, <laughs> yeah, right into the good stuff. Yep, got right into it. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So th- is that how you, how did you get into punk? Was that there in Florida? Yeah, it was, uh, I was in eighth grade and it was sort of a combination of, um, I had two of my cousins who were into punk who would send me stuff. <clears throat> and then there were some, some people that were in, uh, I was in eighth grade and there were like some seniors in high school that I thought were real cool. And one of the guys, I remember his name was Gordon and he would, he would make mixtapes for me. And one of the first mixtapes that I got from him, one side was black flag and the other side was violent thems. Wow. So <laughs> that's <cool to> <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's cool remembering that. Cause that's like a really cool way to get into punk yeah. because that's two very, different bands yeah at the far end but all under that same sort of punk feel you know so it was cool that from the get-go when i got into punk it was all over the place it was all kinds of different styles of punk music and you liked those extremes both of them yes yes very much so Uh, that's what actually got me into punk because everything on the radio sounded the same so it was cool hearing this raw and almost scary type of music but like in way different ways of doing it. And so how did you, um, when did you first play in a band yourself? When did that happen? Who? Well, or how I did that say, happen? Let's say. Well, the first, the first time I, I acted like I was playing in a band was, uh, I was, I was in 10th grade and I was, it was me and my friend Bart at the time Uh, we decided to start a band and it was basically just me and him sitting in my kitchen or at his house. Uh, we'd skate his half pipe 
And then we'd either hang out at his house or come to my house and I would pretend to play bass on this bass mm-hmm. my dad bought me and he'd play guitar a little bit better and we would try to cover the exploited and a couple of other things mm-hmm. and we'd fail miserably and then we'd just go to listening <laughs> to albums like I remember Dead Kennedys and the Exploited we listened to a lot. Yeah. And uh and that was the first band and we called it Subculture. Uh-huh. And then uh after that it was probably 11th grade where uh, 11th into 12th grade where I started my first actual band uh, where it was um, it was called Second Nature and it was a bunch of guys uh, in Florida that I was skating with uh, skateboarding with and they had a guy that was singing for them and he wasn't a good singer <laughs> and and so one day I tried out and they wanted me to do it instead. And I remember my tryout was doing Twist of Cain by Danzig. Yeah, awesome, awesome. You <laughs> and, could do that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. great. And we did that. <laughs> and from there on, uh, we started playing shows at a club called The Night Owl in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and that went on for about a year or two. Um, and and funny enough, a, a funny story from that, there was a guy named Gus who set up all the shows at the Night Owl, he was probably one of the main reasons why Pensacola, Florida had punk music and punk shows. Uh, So any punk band that came, I remember seeing Green Day's first tour through there when Billy Joe was like 16 and they were printing Uh shirts out of their truck. You know, it's like, and and just cool shows like the Melvins and um, Nation of Ulysses and all these old punk bands that, um, but this guy, Gus, so... Fast forward later down the road, um, a few years ago, uh, Boy Sets Fire was playing festivals in Europe with Foo Fighters. And I walk by this office door, turns out Gus was tour managing for Foo Fighters. No way. That's amazing. And it was like, oh wow. my God, like, <laughs> like got to hang out for a little bit and talk. So it's, it, it was cool, like coming back to that and seeing somebody who had been a huge part of who I was in punk music and and getting into punk music and having the opportunity to have that in such a small little town. Yeah. And and also for him to be able to to stay in music, right? Because many people yeah. at some point just just got out of it because Oh yeah. You know, when you start started to uh, having to pay the bills and stuff like that. Yep. And to have such success with it, be able to go out with the Foo Fighters, you know, I'm sure he's doing rather well doing that, you know, so good for him. That's an amazing story. And so when did Boys It's Fire start? Uh, Must have been around 93, 94 or something, right? It was 94. Mm -hmm. 94. um, So I think, I think our first album came out in 95 or something, but we started in 94. We started practicing in 94 and, um, and yeah, that's, that's it. (laughs) So how did you meet those guys? Uh, well, funny enough. So, okay. Josh and I have known each other since birth. Our parents were friends before that. Um, Chad, I met in high school. Now, Chad and Josh, uh, and I were all in separate in bands separately. Like I would do bands with Josh and I would do bands with Chad, but never together, you know? And, and then the funny part that brought this together was Josh and Chad got married to sisters. 
Oh, okay. and so they started hanging out more, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and let's, they decided start to start a band. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I had I had gone off and and started a completely different band without either of them, and um and I remember getting a call from them saying, "Hey, look, um, so at the time, Delaware in in our area was a very." It was a weird scene. Like nobody really toured that much. It was very apolitical. Like people didn't, it wasn't like what I remember of punk rock that was very political and, you know, whatever. So it was just, it was different than what, you know, not wrong or right, just different than what I wanted to do. So the bands I was in when I was trying to push a political message or do things, they were like, eh, we don't want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. eh, we don't want to tour. We don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. We don't want to talk about stuff, you know? And so I was sort of bummed out. Then Josh and Chad call me. Hey, we want to start a political band. <laughs> we want to tour. We want to get out of Delaware. We want to talk about stuff. We want to go all over the world. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, let's do this. You know? So it was like, it was exactly what I, I was looking for with my two best friends, you know? So uh, we started that and we started gathering people around us like um, Daryl, who played bass for us first. Then he got Matt, who was playing drums with us. Uh, you know, for a while. And uh, it just, it went from there. And so you, you you started recording, you started playing, started touring. That all happened like pretty pretty fast, I guess, right? And, and you pretty put out quickly, record after yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first thing we did was a compilation uh, on Creep Records, funny enough, uh, with one of the first songs we wrote called Bucket of Rain. And um, it was a, it was a strange song, sort of funky. Uh-huh. <laughs> sort of song. Uh, but uh, but it was the first time like I had, like when we started playing, I immediately started like, I don't know whether sing sing or scream, so I guess I'm just going to do both. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I started doing that on that very first song and we just started going from there. And uh, I guess it was soon after that, we released, I can't remember if we released the consider seven inch first or the day the sun went out first, or I, it's hard to remember 25 years ago, you know, but, but those, those started coming out. We went on our first tour in Europe, I think in 97. Uh, and before that it toured around the U S uh, just small stuff. Um, and I'm not really sure how all those things came together except for dumb luck and just persistence. (laughs) Like we were like, we're getting in the van. We're going to starve to death to get out there and do this, you know? So, um, it's yeah. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I find it interesting what you just told me about the tape or the, the mixtape with violent femmes and black flag. And I think as a band, pretty much from the beginning, you had it. You know, you spread the the music out in in, in in those you know to those extremes, like you say, with the singing and the screaming, the harder songs and the more melodic songs. Yeah, it was it was sort of dumb luck in that situation because we were all sort of in that same boat. At least me, Josh, and Chad, who were the original songwriters uh, in there. It was you know Chad came from a bit more of a metal background. Uh-huh. Um, but he was into all kinds of stuff like punk and metal and, you know, and, and, and Josh and I were more in the hardcore punk scene, but we were into metal and, you know, all this different stuff. So when we came together, it just naturally became this sort of schizophrenic weirdness of like all different styles of music crashing together. 
Yeah. And so I was wondering, because in the late mid to late 90s, when you, were, when you became really active, I don't know about the US, but I guess in Europe, the, the scene, hardcore punk scene was quite spread out into these small sub scenes, right? Where, where you yes. have the, the emo uh, stuff and then the more metalcore stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as you as a band, you were one of the few bands I would say that I knew at the time that, you know, really bridged that, those, those gaps. And so how was that for mm -hmm. the for the people or how was that for booking shows because I'm I'm sure you didn't just play the shows of the you know one crowd or or the other crowd you know just Right. How how did people react yeah. also? It's funny because in the US it was a bit different. It was uh hardcore mm -hmm. sort of became this gathering of everything. So you would have bands like Damnation who are more metal playing with Split Lip who are definitely more emo playing with The Promise Ring who are almost pop, you know? So these this would happen a lot in the US where you'd have these shows with bands that don't sound anything alike, but they're very so so we were the the common force in that where we were combining all of those. <laughs> we weren't just the 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 separate band. We were the band combining all the bands that are playing in hardcore, you know? And um, so when we came over to Europe the first time, um, I think that a lot of people who were really into emo and hardcore and like more like sort of Jigga Jigga Hardcore were like, we're both drawn to it at the same time. And it was cool to bring those crowds together a little bit because that's what we had experienced in the US. It was, it was very like together movement hardcore, you know? So it, it was neat to experience that coming over to Europe as well and sort of being part of that coming together. So the first, I remember the first uh, time I, I, uh, I heard um, Voices Fire was the In Chrysalis EP, I think. Yeah. And there mm -hmm. was the Dead Kennedys cover. Yes. Uh, on, the, on, that, on that record. Mm hmm. Or at the holiday in Cambodia. Yes. And personally, having played in, in, in lo lots of bands over the years, you know, there is always a point in a band when, where you usually, um, in a band when you usually uh, write original songs, when you think, let's try a cover. And yeah. For me, like my experience has always been we tried covers and, you know, maybe we even played them live, you know, from time to time. But then it was always like, oh, you know, our own songs are just better than the way we play this right. cover. And it's so hard to do yes. a song justice. But I really like yes. that. I really like the Dead Kennedys song that you covered there. Thank um, you. Uh, so, but um, how, how did you pick that one? How did you, how did that come about? Um, it just happened to be a song we were thinking about doing uh it, it's funny though because like i i feel the same way about covers like where i i never really like the covers we do yeah. um the the ones that i that really stood stood out that i loved uh we did a cover uh bad brains eye against eye that i i still love to listen to Uh, you could, you can find it. If you look it up, there was a bad brains compilation compilation we were okay, on, cool. on century media, but, um, and then there was a Miley Cyrus cover we did that oh, I wow. love for wrecking <laughs> ball. Um, but the, the dead Kennedy song was cool, but I, I feel like we weren't quite there yet. At least in my opinion, uh, I think we did a fun job with it, but I think that's what we did with covers. Yeah. Like we just, we had fun with it, but it wasn't really like a song. Like 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain yeah, it. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, like for me, it was always mm -hmm. like that. I mean, you can play a cover, like, if, if you can't play it at least more interesting or different or better than the, the original, then I always thought, you know, right. why, why do the cover? But then, yeah, what's the point? On the other yeah. hand, like, like the holiday in Cambodia, at that time, for me, that Kennedys was like a band that I would see, like, the older kids at school, you know, scribbling on the tables, yeah. the, the DK logo. Right. And yeah. They yeah, also yeah. would do like the bad religion and, you know, the cross yep. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that to me was always like, yeah, that's cool, but it's like the old stuff, you know, I'm, I'm interested in right, the newer right. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, sure. But then I really liked that song. I really liked the holiday in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And then I started listening to, mm -hmm. to that Kennedy's after that and really, you know, learned to appreciate that band. So that's right. also a cool thing about covers, like that you can bring this kind of almost forgotten music, you know, to, to new, yeah. to new people. Yeah. That's awesome. I yeah. love that. Anytime I can get people listening to dead Kennedys, that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also a very political band and, and, um, you've also always yeah. had this very strong political, um, mm -hmm. element in the band, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that dead Kennedys, bands like dead Kennedys and, uh, born against yeah. and DOA and, Bands like that had a very huge, and Subhumans had mm -hmm. a very huge effect on me, uh, and The Clash, of course. But but all these bands had something to say. They had statements to make, and they weren't. Here's the thing about those bands, though, that I I could have easily been turned off by punk because the Sex Pistols were bullshit. Like I I remember hearing the Sex Pistols and going, okay, what's this nonsense? Mm -hmm. Like it was like. Okay, they're pissed, so what? Who cares? They don't know what they're pissed about. They're just nihilistically pissed about stuff. Who cares about that? Then I heard The Clash and Joe Strummer being like, I'm pissed and this is what we're going to fucking do about it. I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear Dead Kennedys. I want to hear Subhumans. I want to hear The Clash. I want to hear bands saying, I'm pissed and this is what I'm pissed about and this is what needs to be done about it right now. So that's what made you start also putting out that message. Yes, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. So I remember, like, I think I saw you must have been playing in Germany, in uh, Schondorf, I think it was, in, uh, near Stuttgart, in, uh, when was that, maybe 99, something like that, 98, 99. Yeah, I think it was before, before the, um, the eulogy record came out. Yeah, because, that came out 2000. So. Yeah, and then, mm -hmm. like, it exploded for you, I think, in, in, yeah, in it was crazy. Yeah, yep. right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All over, actually. It was crazy how much that album exploded. It was crazy. <laughs> so, and was that, I, I don't know if I, if I remember it right, but was, was there any controversy of, of you guys selling to, uh, signing to Victory? Because it was a bit of a controversial label in some circles, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, but it was funny because we had controversy every time we signed to any label. Uh -huh. We've signed <laughs> to so many different labels, you know what I mean? Like, it was, that was the time period. Like, you couldn't win to lose. Like, it just, no matter what you did, if you, even if you were just in your basement recording your own shit, somebody would find a way to tell you you were selling out. It just, and, and so we just stopped caring Uh, about what other people thought and just thought, you know, hey, if you guys want to do it different, do it different. We're going to do it this way. Um, and and the great thing is that um, signing to Victory, we did a one-off with them, which means we only signed a contract for one album after the eulogy. And so we didn't get fucked over like a lot of other Victory bands did. 
which was great, you know. Um, but um, yeah, it 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 still sort of blows my mind. I mean, there were a lot of people working that album to make that happen, and uh, there was a guy named Giro in in Germany, uh, still a friend of mine, who did a massive amount of work in Europe for that, for that album. Uh, he had me doing interviews like 12 hours a day. Wow. It was insane, <laughs> but, but it paid off. You know what I mean? It was great. So, and then here in the U S we were doing, um, warp tour and things like that. So it, it, it was building pretty much the same momentum at the same time. And it was, it was a very nice time. <laughs> and, um, So how did you perceive this thing? Because for me, I've, I or, sort of got, I went to a lot of shows like between 97 and 2000, maybe 2001. And then I sort of stopped mm -hmm. going and I, I was, I've always also felt that it became less. Um, did you, did you also experience that, that the scene kind of like maybe people grew out of it or or had, had to get jobs and, and couldn't organize shows anymore and stuff like that around that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that that did happen, but there were still pockets of things happening. You know, it's, I think that a lot of us, as we grew older, maybe sort of lost touch with the new things coming up, you know? Uh, so it's, it's hard to say, but I think also that, Unfortunately, the scene started fracturing off again into different genres and, and stuff instead of coming together as one. And, and people became very divided in that way. But uh, it's, it's funny because I think, you know, it is what you make it. So uh, whether you're in a band or you just like seeing shows, there's always a way to get out there and do things. And there's always a way to find out what shows are going on and recognizing new bands and, and new ways of doing things. And so uh, despite things ebbing off a little bit or going into a different direction, I think it's always our responsibility, if we want to, to seek out new experiences and seek out new ways of doing things. Yeah, and I think that's that's the whole thing that back in the 90s you had to seek out the shows. You had yeah. to find that stuff. It wasn't there and then mm -hmm. I guess in the last, you know, since I don't know, 10 years or or whatever, since everything's become mm -hmm. so um apparently um available and everything's yeah. there, everything's online, um mm -hmm. you know, like it seems that the things that you don't see There is a tendency that you might think that it's not there, but it's still there. I think there's still a lot of bands yeah. playing and a lot of shows going on, but we have to relearn the searching part again, I guess, if you really yes, want to cause, find out. Because yeah. once again, we're in a situation where, you know, uh, on online is like the old radio. Yeah. On the radio, they didn't play that stuff. You know what I mean? Just like online, you're going to hear what's being paid for you to hear, you know, um, everything online is being sponsored and paid for and, and pushed at you just like it was on the radio back in the day. There's no difference. So, but you can look beyond that. We did it back in the day. We can do it now, 
you know, uh, and and make searches and and find even. What's funny is that a lot of times you can find these bigger bands, the bands that influence them. And a lot of times those bands are little known bands that no one's ever heard of that you can go and dig into that scene and find a world of music and bands in. Yeah. And um, so um, so the band is, is has been active since... Like 94, you said, but it's fire until mm -hmm. today, or are you like, you're still active, right? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that we, we call ourselves active because we have no intention of saying we're not, you know, like it's because it's pointless. We did that once where, yeah, we, we did that once where we we're like, okay, we're going to break up and that's it. We're never mm -hmm. playing music again. And then we're like, that's silly. What if we just feel like playing <laughs> a show sometime? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just seems silly to really put a break on it, even though we don't really want to do it a lot, you know? So... And, and, and that's where we sort of foray into my solo stuff where I have been putting my maximum effort into that's my band. That's what I do. You know, whereas boy sits fire is a fun thing that a group of friends do together when we feel like doing it, you know? So, so you might do a tour from, from time to time. You might do a record, just whatever you, yeah. you choose to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whenever we can get it together and, and feel like it'd be fun to do it, we'll do an album, we'll do an EP, we'll do a tour, we'll do a show. Well, you know, uh, but it's just, we we decided to stop the rat race of it, you know? Uh, whereas with, like I said, with my solo stuff, I'm really pushing it. I'm really, you know, moving forward and trying to, well, you can't tour right now, but you yeah. know what I mean? Putting yeah. out albums regularly, touring regu as regularly as possible, really pushing it. With Boy Sets Fire, we we have no interest in doing that. We've set our mark. We've we've done what we came to do, and now we're only going to do it when it's when it feels like we can all get together and do it. Yeah. And so, um, when you play solo now, the differences. I'm interested in the difference uh, between mm -hmm. you know playing solo, writing music solo, writing as a band, um, mm -hmm. because quite a different process i guess like you said in boys mm -hmm. fire you you were like the three of you um wrote together yes. and so i, I assume mm -hmm. that now you write almost exclusively yourself yeah it's uh it's it's funny because it's even grown within the solo thing and and quite purposefully actually is that i really wanted to start doing my solo stuff as singular as possible so Uh, but I didn't have an intention of staying there. It was, okay, I'm going to start this where I'm, you know, just writing everything by myself with no input. Uh, it's just me and a guitar, you know, and that's where Feral Hymns came about. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, now I can branch out and start building on that. Uh, the shows stopped being just me and a guitar. It started being me, another guitarist, my friend Ben, and a cellist. And then it grew from there to where I started involving a more rock feel to this, where there was a full band playing with me, uh, with working title. And, uh, and now I'm in the process of, we just tracked and we're mixing a new album that'll come out later this year called Rebel Songs. And this one, um, I did a lot of work with two of my friends, uh, Jed and Gene, where I bring in the songs and go and sort of create uh, where I'm leading the situation, but I'm creating a band feel 
where I go, hey guys, how can I make these songs better? You know, yeah. getting trusted friends in to be like, what can I incorporate in this? What, how can I make this better? So I'm not just looking inward at this. I'm, I'm having other people sort of, you know, and I think there's a good point to that where you can sort of solo yourself to death. Yeah, exactly. You know, where you're just playing the same thing over and over and over again, and you get stuck in a cycle, you get stuck in a trap. Uh, so I, I never want to do that. So I think this next album, uh, Rebel Songs, is going to be pretty different and interesting for people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also, uh, like, the it's it's sort of like a process, right? Like, for me, I was playing in a band, and the band broke up. And there are always things that are annoying, like especially you know in a band, mm -hmm. there are great yes. things, great times, but there are also things that that can annoy you. And then mm -hmm. it's sort of liberating for me also. I started playing alone, started writing music alone, and 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 at first it's really liberating that nobody you know criticizes you, nobody tells you like their opinion. Yes. You just do what, whatever you want, just purely what you want. Yeah. But then comes a point, I, for me, it was like, I don't know about you, but then comes a point where you just think, okay, I don't know anymore if this is good or not. I need someone to right. tell me this sucks and yes. this is good, right? Yes, exactly. And it's funny though, it's now the difference is, so with Boys It's Fire, if we're writing, um, I, you know, you'll get, you'll get, you'll put in your input And some would be like, eh, I don't really care about that. Or I don't really like that. I'd rather do this. And you sort of have to go with the majority rule on that. Yeah. Whereas with the solo stuff now and what sets that apart from a band thing, even when you're working with others, is the people you're working with in a solo situation, they will give you their opinion, but they are very, they are very aware that at the end of the day, the final choice is yours. You know, whereas with Boys Such Fire, the final choice was not mine, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we all had to come to an agreement or compromise on how we were going to do something. So I can come to Jen and Jean and they could be like, well, I, I feel like it should go this way. And I'd be like, I see that, but we're going to go this way, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So which, which, which gives you sword, sort of, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But, and it sort of gives you a cool perspective on things where it's like, um, drawing that line between knowing when you're right and when you're wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, what you cause sometimes also, yeah. like in a, yeah. And knowing what you want for you, mm. um, in a band situation, you're never going to get that. Um, so in a situation like this, whether you agree with the people you're writing with or you disagree At the end of the day, you have to make the final choice and you have to live with that final choice because it's your name on that album, you know? Uh, and, and no one's going to look in the liner notes at, at the other guy's name and going, it's his fault this sucks, you know? <laughs> they're they're going to see my name big on the cover and go, yeah. ah, this sucks or this is great because of this. But these you know, choices... Because of this name. Yeah, that's like my point is like these choices are sometimes really hard to make as well. Like... Yes. You know, and then yes. and then it's like you have those other guys around you. I think that's really mm -hmm. important at times just to have someone else to have this different opinion, oh, different without perspective. A doubt. Yeah, yeah. Because because along with the fact that you need to learn how to be assertive, you need to also learn how to be humble. Yeah. And know when you're wrong, you know? And and when what you're doing could be better. And and allowing people to help you 
is a huge step, especially with a yeah. solo artist. When you come into it going, this is what I, you know, you're in a band situation like, fuck that. I don't want to be told what to do anymore. Exactly. I want to do what no, I want to do. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you get into that baby stage, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you're a toddler. You want to just do what you want to do. And that's great for the first album. You know, <laughs> yeah, because there's a but drive there. Point, there's a will, and yeah. there's a there are ideas yes. and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But at some point, you do have to learn that you can't be an island in and of yourself and survive. You know, you need to get input. You need to have others sort of who care about you, um, telling you, "Hey, you know." That's good and all, but there's a better way over here, and I want you to check it out real quick and decide if it might work better for you, you know? And that's been that's been invaluable with with this next album. That's for me also, like, the, the ideal... There's sort of, like, it's almost a utopia, but the ideal way, like, be it a band or solo, but it's always, you know, with other people, but in the, in the yeah. ideal way, there's no ego problems, you know, between right. alphas. Instead, there's yes. like there's ideas, and then you know, it comes to fruition from each other. You know, you bounce stuff back yes. and forth. You know, like maybe uh, yeah. very early on, Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon when they had the perfect songwriting collaboration going on before the Absolutely. animosity started going on and, and egos and yeah. uh, you know maybe self consciousness and all that shit comes into play and ruins the the art. You know. Oh but, yeah. But but those Without moments, I don't think those moments can be permanent for a long time in 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 artistic yeah. and musical co collaborations. But mm -hmm. when they're there, it's like the best thing that mm -hmm. for me is like the best thing that you you're capable of doing in conjunction with the other person. Everybody gives their best and then you do something even better that each one is capable on their own, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, wow. So um, uh, where, where did you um, record that uh, new record? I think I, think I saw it. Salad Days? Yeah, is that yeah. Right? Salad days, yeah, but it was it was sort of a combination of things because mm -hmm. with the pandemic and everything, we have to be very careful about yeah. how we're doing things. But um, the 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 drums and bass were actually recorded at Jay Robbins from Jawbox, mm -hmm. his studio in Baltimore called Magpie Cage. Okay. So we did that stuff there. Cool. Then we we condensed down into just me and maybe one other person at a time. Like either Gene would be with me or Jed would be with me with, uh, with Brian McTurnan, uh, salad days at, at his house. And, and we set up a studio basically in his living room and just started tracking the guitars and keys and vocals. And, uh, and it was, it was a wonderful experience. It was, it was crazy because working with someone. So, once again, the solo thing. So doing Feral Hymns and and doing Working Title, I worked with Pete Steinkoff from Bouncing Souls. And and we had a great time doing those. Um, this, working with Brian was a different sort of thing altogether because Brian is, is a is a, is a producer. Like mm -hmm. he's a, for real, actual <laughs> real life producer, yeah. you know, it's not just me and my friend making music in yeah, yeah. at, you know, so he gives a lot of input in, in a studio. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of input there. There's a lot of how things need to be with the bass and the drums lining up and doing this in a professional manner. And it was a really cool perspective to get that I haven't got since 
the old days in Boy Sets Fire when I was a singer and I didn't pay attention to yeah. that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> that was stuff that our drummer and bass player paid attention to. I didn't need mm-hmm. to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now it's like relearning how, why sound sounds the way it does and why certain things catch people's ears, why certain things have a groove, have a feel to them. And lining those things up and having Brian do this with us and working through it with us uh, has been absolutely invaluable. It's it's been incredible because because we brought in just a mess of songs, you know, <laughs> with like just it, it was all over the place, you know, and 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 you could tell sometimes he was a little frustrated with it, but he soldiered through and just knocked it out of the park and really brought out the best in what what we were doing. Yeah, Brian, great guy. I mean, I remember it was the yeah. my first hardcore show. Actually, was a battery show. And, um, oh, awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Some friend said, we're going to this hardcore show. And I, I said, what's, what's hardcore? I don't know. Well, I'm coming along. Right. <laughs> and then it was better. Right. And like, everybody was singing along. And this, this youth crew spirit, it was so amazing. And, and yeah. I, was, I was caught back then. That was like. That's awesome. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he's an awesome well. guy. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but he, he doesn't only produce like bands from the punk hardcore uh, realm. Does he do other stuff as well? Right. I, I, I don't off the top of my head have like everything he's done, but he's definitely done a lot of bands all over the spectrum um, that, you know, bands that much bigger bands than what I'm doing, you know, uh, and, and smaller bands than what I'm doing. So he, he he is an incredibly knowledgeable person. He just has an ear for production. He has an ear for how how musical instruments work together basically that I don't have. You know what I mean? It's it's funny like like I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." And he'd be like, "Are you kidding me? None of this <laughs> makes any sense." Are you like nothing is lining up. Like, do you hear this? And then once he'd sort of take me through it, I was like, "Oh no." Oh no, I hear it now. That's incredible. Yeah. Like it's a, that's not even in tune. I don't know what I was doing. Like <laughs> Yeah, but it's very valuable because I guess when when you're in a band and you you write the songs and and then you play together and it has to feel like for me it always has to feel like this is the best music I could possibly make yes and also like almost a um, you know unrational irrational feeling of this is even the best music that's ever been made which is definitely not true but you should feel that way no but you should feel that way absolutely if you don't feel that way then then it's then it's not good enough i guess yeah why put it out because once again at the end of the day you have to live with that album Mm -hmm. and you have to say to yourself even if no one gives a shit about this album. Even if no one else likes this album, this is my best. This is, I love this album. And I will listen to this album over and over and over again because I love it. Yeah, because that's basically, you know, like you've been playing for more than 25 years and Mm -hmm. and, and myself, I don't know, not as long, but enough years to know that, you know, after the time, it doesn't really matter if at a certain show there were like, you know, 20 people or 500 people because, you know, in the end and the record that you made, I don't know, you sold, uh, you know, 200 or 2000 or, or I don't know more in the end. Yeah. The person that really cares is yourself because you put the the thing on and then you're thrown back Mm -hmm. to that time when you recorded this stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's the most important thing. Definitely. But still, I think it's very valuable to have someone like, like you say, like, 
like Brian McTurnan, giving you that feedback because it's just a different set of ears, different brain. Um, yes. Because you don't know how it will, um, how will pe how people will react to it, how people will perceive it, and and, it, right. and it's nice if, yeah. if if you can get that you know that outside um, um, perspective and and reflect. Oh, on without that, a doubt. Right? Yeah, I've I've tried to keep myself as humble as humanly possible on this mm -hmm. next album <laughs> to where it's just like I'm I'm just going to learn on this album. I, I I want to learn, I want to take in because this this next album I think is it's an it's a gigantic step for me. Uh coming back into I guess not so much just this singer-songwriter feel coming back into a full band sound that's complex. It's not just even, even working title, which is a great album. And I love that album. It was a very straightforward melodic punk album, you know, uh, very much in line with the casting out stuff I was doing. Whereas this album is a much more complex album, which brings in, it, it is overall a heavier sort of rock album to an extent but it brings in so many different facets that I've been trying to incorporate like hip hop, reggae, dub, ska, different things that like that, that you're not going to listen to the album and go, Oh, this is the ska song. You know, yeah. you're not going to listen to it and go, Oh, this is this. But in every song, you're going to hear weird little influences in, in from these different areas that I am incredibly proud of that, I was able to get all these things together and then with Brian's help, make it cohesive, make it sound because I mean, heck, I haven't done that since Boy Sets Fire <laughs> where Boy Sets Fire was always like that. We had all these different styles and sounds, but we somehow made it cohesive. Yeah. And, and now with this next album with Rebel Songs, that's what I'm looking to do. It's sort of like my part of Boy Sets Fire, you know? Um, It's, it's bringing who I was in that band to life and, and bringing all these different styles and, and, and influences and making them cohesive and making them big and larger than life, I guess. I mean, it's great because you sound really excited and it sounds like you're learning new stuff still. And, and I think that's really important, like being older yeah. guys, you know, that we can still you know, maintain this feeling of, of, of uh, you know, exploring new areas and, and finding out new stuff yeah. and learning new stuff about ourselves, about music, about playing music, instead of repeating ourselves. Yeah, yeah I think it's important mentally and physically yeah. as well for older people to continue to reinvent and to continue to build and do new things because the second you stagnate, you die, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I mean, we, we have no real control over when we live or die in this world, but we can do things to make living better. We can do things to extend the quality of our lives. And, and you see it all the time. People just give up, you know, they, yeah. they run out of ideas. They run out of things, uh, doing new things, trying new things. And their brain just sort of goes, okay, I guess that's it for us. You know, mm. uh, and it will physically run you down. It will mentally and physically kill you. So I think, especially as we start getting older, I think people need to realize that you got to keep yourself sharp. You got to keep yourself on, on, on task and to keep trying new things and doing new things and experiencing new things. 
um, to keep this machine going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, for me, it's it's the, also the th one of the main reasons why I now play, still play in a band because it's um, yeah, you know, it's you have a, you know, like a job, a family, but it's just not enough to to go through life. You need this other thing, and when you have this possibility yes. to have a creative outlet. Um, I think that's just really important, and I, I don't know. For me, if I didn't have it, I'd, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a better person and a happier person for it, definitely. Yeah, being able I, to no, I agree, it. and I, same, absolutely the same. Um, and and like yourself, I think that we have that thing where it's like you need all these different puzzle pieces to fit together to be a happy person. Mm -hmm. It's not that a band is more important than your no. family or the family's more important than this or anything. It's, it's just all thing, yeah. just as important. It's not, you know, it's all part of this big puzzle piece that makes you who you are. And, and, and you can't be happy unless you are the complete you. And I think everybody needs that. They need to be the complete them or they're never going to be happy. Yeah. Not everybody has, has to have a band, but you know, some, no. some mm -hmm. kind of, um, yeah. self, uh, fulfillment, self empowerment thing needs to go on. Yes. That's what I really believe. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not just, and even, yeah. Yeah. And even some people having a family is their happiness yeah. and that's great too, you know, <clears throat> but you have to be honest with yourself and you have to know what it is, all those different pieces that make you happy and make sure that you build a life in which those things are part of what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have like three, I think my theory is like you need three columns, like more or less, you know, it could be family job yeah. and, and like a mm -hmm. band, for example, because at some point, right. one of those or Creative. two of those are going to go away, you know, when the kids are yeah. big, going to move out. And then you're like, if this is your only thing, then you're like, in front of the the void all of a sudden or you yes. know, the job many people like yep. my father when when he stopped working he fell into this hole you know like and many people mm -hmm. have that situation and and then you it's just great to have another thing that you can you know dedicate yourself yeah. to yeah yeah you have to have that creative side that something that makes you happy aside from the normal things in life you know yeah absolutely so so lastly, what uh, what about the um, political situation right now in the states? Like, what's it's what's interesting. Going on? It's uh, well, it's it's an interesting uh, process right now because I think that we went through this four years of just pure insanity, and and there was almost a a rearranging of of what's normal. You know, and and so now we're we're trying to sort of dig ourselves out of that, I think, or at least most people who are intelligent and give a shit are trying to dig ourselves out of realizing that what we just went through wasn't normal and that what we're doing now isn't salvation, you know, um, and I think that's important to know is that the last four years was not OK. But what we've done isn't the total solution. Yeah, yeah. It's the it first step up yeah. on a rung. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's the first step up on a rung, you know? Uh, Biden, the Biden administration is not going to be perfect. They are going to be better, but they are not going to be perfect. They are not going to be... And, and that's the thing is that we can't fall into what those who were following Trump. We voted for Biden. We aren't Biden fans, 
You know what I mean? Um, and that's the difference. We just went through four years of people thinking that the president's a rock star. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, that's not what any government official is supposed to be. That That was probably the worst part of it, was that we saw a government servant as as this like rock star leader, whether you hated him or loved him, the how we saw him was wrong altogether. And you had people going out to his speeches and stuff with like shirts and flags yeah. and like, like they were going to a rock right, concert. Right. <laughs> That's insane. Absolutely, yeah. Like it should never yeah, be that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, fans. You shouldn't be fans of a fucking government yeah. official. That's insane. <laughs> like, like, like uh, that grosses me out in and of itself. It doesn't even matter how terrible Trump is. That in and of itself sucks. Yeah, how that like, even was you possible, should right? Never. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what we learned about ourselves, which is awful, is that we become groupies and fans for politics. That's ugh. like, mm -hmm. you're, you're not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to be like, okay, the government is this mediation for us. It's a medi mediation thing. And they mediate things that we would like to happen. And we vote and we do these things to try and convince them one way or the other of what the majority would like. And somehow we've got to all get together and compromise. And compromise isn't everybody winning. It's everybody losing a little. That's how it works. That is how government should work. And so at the end of the day, that's how we should be looking at politicians is that, okay, they're not necessarily evil or good unless they're literally doing evil shit like most of the Republicans right now. But, but, um, but they are a public servant. They are there. We put them in that position to try to mediate between all the different ideas, between all the different opinions. And if they're not doing their job to do that, then we need to find a solution to that. Um, and we need to call them out. We need to hold their feet to the fire. We need to, you know, hold them accountable in whichever way we can. So I think we've, we've gotten to this weird oversimplification situation where everything must be my way and right. And, 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 and politicians are these people that I fawn over and, and create into these political gods that can do no wrong or can do no right or can, you know, and we've just gotten so far off the mark with what happened in the past four years. Yeah. And that then the population, I guess, also has become so binary. You're either on the one side or you're on the other side. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's this yeah, crack yeah, yeah. In, in, in your society. Well, and I guess it's in many countries, yeah. it's the same kind of, you know, there's one half more or less that's on the one side and the other half's on the other side. But that's always been mm -hmm. like that. And but to like, be honest, let's be very honest. The problem is, is that the the quote unquote conservative side has moved farther to the right. And they are setting, resetting the goalposts. So it is their fault at the end of the day. Um, so, but we need to figure out how to solve that because we can't keep allowing them to move the goalposts and saying, okay, I'm a concern. I, I'm in the middle. You're not fucking in the middle. You're hanging out with white supremacists. That's not the fucking middle. Like, you know what I mean? And so you can't come to the table with people like that. So yeah, yeah. there needs we to, need a line to, find, to be drawn, right? Yeah. yeah, there needs to be a line that's literally in the middle where we can all learn to compromise around that middle. 
you know? Uh, but we can't keep resetting the goalpost of what middle is. And we can't keep acting like taking care of one another is this communist conspiracy. We can't listen to people like that. We cannot listen to people who support Nazis, who support white supremacy, who tell us that basic needs and necessities are not a right. Fuck you. That is off the table. When you can come to the table and bring your more conservative or more uh, liberal take on things and know that you are going to have to compromise from the actual middle, no problem. <laughs> but in the past four years, this one side, because because I also I want to make sure, despite the fact that there are problems on both sides, we have fallen into this really bad thing of blaming both sides equally. And that's not right. It, we can say that both sides have done wrong. And we can say that we need to monitor and 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 reinforce that these things are not correct and we, you know, but, but we do need to also realize the facts here is that one side is demonstrably worse, you know, and has done more damage and we need to fix that first in addressing this. So, um, and at the end of the day, you guys all have to live in the same country and, and, you know, without killing each other. (laughs) Right, right, yeah, yeah, which is very important. And the guns don't you know? help. I, I um, don't think the guns help there at the, you know. No, the, the guns stage. do not help. No, no, and uh, it's 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 funny. I think that a lot of people are coming to that awakening as well. Is just that you know you're always going to have people that are like I want guns. All right, what the fuck ever. You know what I mean? It's just going to be what it is. But and and that's where compromise is going to have to happen. Many of us. Uh, don't want them at all. At the end of the day, you're going to have to let people have them, but they're but they are going to have to realize that those things are going to need to be regulated, yeah. and that we d- we all deserve to be Maybe safe. Maybe not the uh, we automatic all assault rifles, feel safe. right? Right, exactly. You don't mm. need that. Yeah, it's just like billionaires. You don't need that much fucking money. And I don't care how bad that sounds to people. There are certain things you don't fucking need and that you can't have because you need to be a responsible citizen with the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Because you want to live with other people and not you don't want right. to live alone on an island, just you. Like, yeah. People don't and if want you do, to go do people. that then <laughs> where we don't get hurt by the crap you do. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. Go buy an island and go be there and leave us the fuck alone. Let us just collectively work things through. Yeah, but nobody wants um, that. <laughs> nobody wants to be no, alone. No, they just want to impose their will on other people. Yeah. I'm a rugged individual and everyone needs to be that and fuck the poor. You know, it's just, God, come on. Like, it just. Also, if it, it's it just you, you so don't need ridiculous. a gun because you, you, who, who are you going to Right, shoot? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who's coming for you? It's just you, buddy. Like,. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's gotten so ridiculous, and it is absolutely one side's fault right now. And until they are able to rein themselves in, there's not going to be any unity. There's not going to be any compromise because the other side is going to have to fight against this insanity that that side chooses not to fight against. If if the conservative and Republican Party were to finally go, holy shit. Apparently, our policies are attractive to right-wing white supremacists. We need to change that. That should be your first clue. 
if your policies and your and the things that you believe deeply in attract those fucking assholes, you need to change your policy. You need to look, take a deeper look into what you believe. That's bad. Like, <laughs> so, so, and, and, and the problem now is that conservatives and Republicans are digging deeper into this stuff and instead of calling Pushing. it out. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And because they don't want to lose this frantic little base, right? What they don't understand is that that whole Trump thing that just happened, if it were just the frantic Trump fans, he would have never won. Exactly. It's it would have never happened. Too many people, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it just, it drives me nuts, is that that side of the political spectrum are now bowing down to the most disgusting and vile attributes of human nature. And it, it's awful. And, and then yeah, I see, they just cling to power. Yeah. 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 Because they just want power and that's it. And they'll, and they'll believe anything that, uh, confirms their bias. It doesn't matter, you know, and everybody does that to an extent, but it's gotten out of control on this, on that side where it just, you can't even talk to these people anymore. They believe the most insane conspiracy theories you'll ever hear. And I, I've seen people who I would have never pegged for being racist or awful in my life, believing these things and falling into these things and not even realizing that the things they're saying are racist and anti-Semitic and just disgusting and vile and hurtful. Yeah, I wonder what can be a way out of this. What 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 the direction can be, you know, to to something's got to gotta break. Something's got to yeah. Mm. Something's got to break. And and I don't know what yet, but those of us who are on the side of decency have to keep fighting. We have to keep standing up, and we have to do it in a way that doesn't follow their model. Um, so as an example, uh, Rush Limbaugh died recently. He was a awful man. Um, and a right wing radio talk show, conspiracy theorist. He was a bully for many, many years. I, I, I remember hearing him when I was like 16, he's been around forever. Uh, he died recently and a lot of people started acting like him. Yeah. Just sort of like, ah, fuck him. Ha ha. That's funny. He's dead. And I'm not going to say that's not deserved. I'm not going to say that people don't have reason to do that, but I, I, I recently posted yesterday trying to take a different take on it. When, when they realized that that golden calf they were following, you have disgust for that, but you care about them as a person and care that they fell for it. And you don't think they're stupid, but you think that they're misled and you care that they've been hurt. Yeah, because it's, that's, yeah, that's it's, also, it's it's hard, yeah. you know. But it's it's, it's also a thing to me. It's like, important. When I grew up, America was all the U.S. was always this on a pedestal. I know, you know, like pop culture mm -hmm. and many bands and films and everything right. was from the U.S. And and whenever you'd meet someone from the U.S. or I don't know if you travel there or bands, of mm -hmm. course, but also like any any Americans, they would always be very friendly, polite, you know, kind people. Not, you know, not assholes. And it seems like right. that has vanished a bit, that it's okay for many people think it's okay to be an asshole. 
And I think yeah, and that they, was a good I mean, thing, they were taught you know? even if it was like yeah. just superficial, but it was like a co sort of a common sense. You you're polite to people, you know, like yes, I, mean, I think that's, right. That's a big step. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that that was you know past four years, but it was coming for a while. Yeah. It didn't just happen in a in a isolated bubble, you know. It was coming for a while, and and what I hope is that the last four years showed us how ugly the systemic issues we have in this country are. That now that Biden's in office, it's just going to get buried. You know, it's just yeah. going to get buried back down. Mm. Like, good things will happen. It'll be better than it was. But is that actually that good that it's getting buried back down and then ignored? Yeah, um, because the problem... We need to have... Yeah. The problem is, is basically what it comes down something. to it is, is like the problem is capitalism, right? Because that's what the yes. pandemic is showing yes. us as well, like pretty yes. clearly. And uh, some mm -hmm. people maybe uh, don't want to say capitalism is the problem because they don't want, yep. you know, because they think then we'll have the, the alternative is communism and they don't like that. Right. But still, capitalism yeah. is the problem. And I think many people yes. also in the States are poor because of the the system allowing corporations yeah. to do what they want to rip people mm -hmm. off rip a country off you know with the yeah. opiates and everything that's just you know yes maybe, I, people yeah. don't realize how many options there are to them you know what i mean like like because they they don't want to say that capitalism capitalism is the root problem here yeah, uh because <laughs> they think the only other option is communism yeah. and that's not true By any stretch of the imagination. I mean, try to think creatively, people. Good Lord. Like, <laughs> if, if you're thinking that there are only two choices in life, like, you've already given up. Yeah, yeah. Like, there are so many other options that don't have to be based in these things. Um, and, and honestly, I'm sick to death of things being called capitalism and socialism mm. anymore. Because nobody knows what the fuck they mean anymore. Yeah. You know, like, we use them as, like as like scare tactics instead of using them for what they actually are and saying what they are. And so we should probably just get rid of those terms altogether. But at the end of the day, you are correct. I think that the base problem is capitalism. Yeah. And just a system that allows like a company, like the, what, what was that called? The one that did Oxycontin and, and, you know, like poisoned all those people, killed all those people. And yes. then just, and then the family just sold the company and now they can't be really, you right. know, be, they can't held be held accountable. And that's unbelievable that this is even possible. And that's what the free unregulated market does. And, and it's, it's crazy because you have people on that side that don't want that for government, but they're fine with corporations doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's so fucking weird. Yeah. Like how people mi people's minds work. It it you can't blows trust my mind. You can't expect a corporation to to do what a government yeah. is supposed no. to do because the government is yes. elected by the people and has to you know answer to the people. Yes. Corporations don't. Yes, they they are supposed to make money as much as possible and as much as they're allowed to in any way. Uh, you know, but. Um, People and they sort must of have be this, regulated. Yeah, and and also like companies like Google and uh, Apple or whoever, people shouldn't expect those companies to do any any good thing. Just uh, you know, no, because yeah, yeah, just out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah, no, yeah. Why, no why would it, they? yeah, that's not what they're there <laughs> for. Would be crazy, and for that's them to do and that. that's fine. But 
That's why we create laws and regulations to protect ourselves. You know, this isn't the people the 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 biggest lie being told right now is the government is forcing laws on you. They're not forcing laws on you. We come together and elect these people to create these laws, to create these regulations to help us maneuver. We can't just be like, okay, it'll just be anarchy tomorrow. You've set nothing up. Like, it's like, you know, like that's, it's, it's so funny, like how many on the right have co-opted anarchism right now Mm -hmm. as this like thing where they're like, oh, well just no regulations, no rules, no laws. Now you can't do that. It doesn't work. Like, and anarchism was never set up to do that. That, like even the theories and the philosophies within anarchism was never just okay. Tomorrow we just stop all rules and government, and that's it. No, there nobody needs a, actually needs to be a that. set of norms <laughs> and rules and common sense, especially yeah. in the people for it in order to work. Even it's a, it's a working progress. You know, it's it always is, no matter what it is, because you've got so many people with so many different belief systems and ideas and feelings and and ways of doing things. And when you have to come to a system of compromise and mediation, that's just how it is. You have to have those things. And if you think you don't, it's probably because you're rich enough to think you don't. You know, like end of the day, um, billionaires shouldn't exist. Just shouldn't. They're, you don't need it. You'll never use it. You're like a dragon sitting on gold. It's ridiculous. Like, and yeah. And I think are, many people seem to be believing that, um, you know, uh, having an opinion is the same thing as doing something, right? Because you're allowed to have any opinion that you want. You can believe, like, that dogs are evil and they need to be killed, but you can't. Right. That doesn't allow you to go out and actually kill the dogs, right? Or, or right, you know, right. whatever. Exactly. And, like, yeah. w- in the pandemic, you see that, that people be- say, I don't believe in masks and that's why I don't wear one. That's just, you know, right. it's not the same thing. You can believe, you cannot no. believe in the mask if you want to, but you still have to, you know, yeah. follow the rules because your actions yeah. have consequences for other people. You're not alone in this world. Correct. And that's sort of right, missing right. in many people, I think, this this consciousness. Of it's just this, <laughs> yes, this selfish, childish mentality yeah. that it just, it, it blows me away. Like, well, I don't want to do this, so no. So I'm not doing it. Yeah. Who cares? You don't have to yeah, want so, to do so it. So don't do it at maybe, your house yeah. where it's not going to hurt me. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe you don't believe in traffic lights, but you still should. You know, you still better stop yeah. at a red yeah, traffic yeah. light because if you don't, you might die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, it's funny how many people these anti-maskers will still stop at traffic lights. Will still yeah, wear exactly. seatbelts. Will still, seat belts, you know, yeah. why seatbelts? Like, why do you yeah, believe yeah. in seatbelts? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, it's just and 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 the whole anti-regulation thing and all that shit. Like, I, it just drives me insane. Like, okay, drink polluted water and drive in cars that break down every five minutes. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say to these people anymore. Mm. Like, you get so far in your own lunacy of thinking that everyone can just be this rugged individual without any regulations, laws, or anything. It what you get from that is Mad Max. That's all that that's all that comes from that. Like yeah. you know, like, and it goes to show that actually it is important to have politicians and governments that make rules and not let anyone do what they want because if they didn't, it right. would be total chaos. And that's that's sort of proving right now when yeah. people, you know, when people are dying in front of our eyes because of the pandemic, it's yeah. pretty clear. You know, conspiracy theories. 
whatever, but it's pretty clear that there is this virus and there is this pandemic and people still um, don't look beyond the, their own horizon. You know, of course, for many people, it's hard, you know, if they can't work, if they can't open their bar or restaurant. But just, you know, just opening up everything, it, it's not going to solve the problem. And so it is important that sometimes politicians, you know, stand that heat and still say, okay, we have to look at the greater good of yeah, uh, society. And, and shouldn't, shouldn't we have a system that protects those businesses? Yeah. So yeah. when this happens, they're paid. I don't understand. Like, okay, you, like, <laughs> everybody bitches about socialism and stuff like that would have saved us exactly right there <laughs> exactly. like socialism or whatever would have saved our asses like everyone would have health care these businesses would have been paid regardless of the fact of whether they had to stay pay businesses to close fuck it like we and it obviously and it have even the money cost less we have than yeah than it actually cost no. yes <laughs> you've got all this money going to the military you've got all this money going into things that we don't need it to fucking to, to for tax cuts for billionaires tax those motherfuckers and pay businesses to close don't make l small businesses have to blame the wrong people small businesses blaming people who want us to stay closed down so we can make it through this is rich people using those small businesses to blame the wrong people. They, these small businesses should be like, fuck you guys, not, not the people who are closing down the businesses and saying, Hey, we, we got a shutter to stay safe. Um, long ago, this sh we should have been prepared for this long the fuck ago. Um, in that businesses would have been able to safely close down and not lose their asses. Small businesses should have been taken the fuck care of. Yeah, but anyway, I'm I'm trying to stay positive and and hope for yes, <laughs> hope yes. for the light at the end of the tunnel, and hope for music to come back and shows to come back and all that. I am very hopeful <laughs> with with the vaccine and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, like, me too. Everybody. It's, it seems like we're lucky actually at we're least lucky over idiots, here that I think yeah. yes yes without a doubt um, despite all the misinformation and bullshit it seems that we will at least over here be able to reach the the percentage we need of people getting the vaccine to be able to start reopening things stuff like that because obviously we're not going to take any responsibility. So we can no. <laughs> obviously the vaccine is our only solution because nobody's going to take any responsibility and fucking wear a mask and stay home. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a very, it's, I'd say it was the American way, but it's, it's a very world thing anymore is that human beings in general, we want, we, we need that pill. We need that vaccine. We need that thing. Cause we're not changing our lives, you exactly. know? <laughs> Like sort of so, the human species, you know, uh, biologically, like uh, the species sort of deserves to to die, maybe. <laughs> but oh uh, uh, yeah, at some we'll points I feel while. that way definitely. <laughs> but thank you, science, for saving us from exactly. ourselves. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for talking to me, Nathan. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I wish you luck with the new record. Looking forward to hearing it. And I uh, hope uh, you'll, you'll be on tour at some yeah, point in Europe. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Chris. Take care and stay safe. And yeah, talk to you soon. Awesome, man. Thank you. See ya. Dream my life.
Nathan Gray, great guy. He's out there, totally dedicated to his music. Check out his solo albums. And uh, I guess not too far from now, his third album will be available. So make sure to check that out once it's there. Yeah, I guess just goes to show, better not write off as old farts just yet, right? We still got shit to say. Yeah, you know what? I just might use this opportunity to plug my own band because I've also played in a band again for a while and we recorded an album and I'm just going to play you a song from that record. Here's Satellites. The band is called Abermals or Abermals or Abermals, whatever. Enjoy and I will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm. 